It's pretty obvious now how nervous some European countries have become since Russia invaded Ukraine. Some even did an about-turn on neutrality and want in with NATO. Yeah, of course, I'm talking about Sweden and Finland, and you probably know that. But this is where the Middle East comes in. You see, Turkey might prove to be the stumbling block. Hello everyone, I'm Sami Zaydan, and welcome to the Essential Middle East Podcast. Now my guest and I are going to discuss this multifaceted and complicated issue. Hello, I am Galip Talay. I am doctoral researcher in history at University of Oxford. I am also senior associate fellow at Al Sharq Forum. I'm joining you today from Oxford. Wonderful. Let's start with the issue of Turkey's concerns. Why is Turkey worried about Sweden and Finland joining NATO? Well, I think it's more, uh, I mean, there are several dimensions. One of them is bilateral that has to do with these two countries. But actually, this story is not only about these two countries. It's about Turkey, US, essentially. So that's really what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, it's just playing out as a struggle between Turkey and Finland and Sweden. Absolutely. This has been ongoing for quite some times. I mean, the, in Syria show one thing very fundamental in Turkish US and in Turkish NATO relations. The threat perception of two parts are fundamentally diverging. The US works with the groups that Turkey regards as terrorists. The Turkey works with the groups US regards as radical. And the both countries are supposed to be allies within the framework of NATO. And uh, not only US, but almost all the Western countries are working with PYD and YPG, the Syrian uh, the Syrian Kurdish PYD YPG with links to PKK. And the Sweden does work with it, obviously. And Finland to a lesser extent, actually, in this story, less than Sweden. But the Finland also is very sympathetic towards the group. So here, when both countries apply to NATO, there is a very fundamental requirement of NATO. It requires a unanimous decision for any country to be admitted to the NATO. So if Turkey is not on board, then this is not possible. I love it, by the way. I love talking to you, Gallup, because you always break it down into the things behind the scenes that we don't always see. Well, glad to hear this. So now, basically, Turkey is trying to get concession from the Sweden and Finland for its yes. In principle, Turkey is not against the NATO expansion. In principle, Turkey is not actually against their membership as well too. But Turkey is essentially saying, my yes will come with some conditions. With a price. With a price, which is some of them are uh, concrete, some of them are abstract, and this is the trouble. The concrete part, the Turkey wants not only the change of the approach to the Syrian uh, Kurdish PYD YPG, but also the lifting of the arms embargo, because most of the Western countries, including Sweden and Finland, impose arms embargoes on Turkey following Turkey's 2019 military intervention into North, uh, northeastern Syria against the PYD. So the Turkey wants the removal of the arms embargo. The Turkey wants the change of the approach to PYD YPG. The Turkey wants some extradition, but with the name of whom we don't know. And the Turkey wants like more uh, steps from these countries 
when it comes to cracking down on the financing and then the recruitment of the PKK YPG in Europe, in Sweden and Finland. All right. The trouble is there is a gap between what Turkey regards as terrorists and what they regard. The PKK is a recognized terrorist organization by the US, EU, Turkey, and Sweden, Finland. However, PYD is not. So there is a fundamental difference between them when you say cracking down on the terrorism financing. Everybody's understanding something different. Absolutely, and those countries doesn't recognize that. Before the listeners get lost in this alphabet soup of acronyms <laughs> and all of this background, give me a chance to try and give a little bit of simple context to our listeners. Turkey, of course, is a NATO member since 1952. It's a transcontinental country located mainly in Asia, but also has parts in Europe. It borders two Arab countries in the Middle East, Iraq and Syria. Yes. And you might ask, well, what have these countries got to do with Sweden and Finland's NATO membership bids? Well, as Gallup was explaining, it's because of the Kurdistan Workers' Party, the PKK. That is a group considered by Turkey and by Europe and the US and so on as a terrorist organization. And they're based in the mountainous region of northern Iraq, a Middle Eastern country, obviously. And we have the YPG. That is a powerful force on the ground in northeast Syria, another Arab country. That is a another Kurdish group based in Syria. But that's where it gets a little messy. Turkey also considers that to be a terrorist group because of its affiliations with the PKK. But not everybody in the West has that clarity, right? And Turkey is accusing Sweden and Finland of supporting these groups. In fact, I think we can even listen now to the Turkish foreign minister, Mevlu Çavuşoğlu, when he says this. They need to stop supporting terrorist organizations the defense industry restriction or the prohibitions on export permits imposed to an ally such as Turkey should definitely be lifted. I'm not saying this is a bargaining chip, I'm saying it is a requirement of alliance. So, Gallup, is the problem really that Sweden and Finland view the two groups, the PKK and the YPG, as unaligned, different to what, for example, even the U.S. Defense Secretary Ashton Carter said in 2016 to a Senate panel hearing when he said, yeah, the YPG and the PKK are aligned or have substantial ties. Is that the basic problem, though? Lack of that recognition seeping in to all levels of the Western alliance, so to speak? I think one of them with uh, one of the major uh, problem here is the basic necessities of the U.S. dictated its approach or the basic policy of the U.S. dictated its approach to PYD-YPG. I don't think that there is any question on anyone's mind in terms of the link between the PKK and YPG. I mean, both organizations regard the Abdullah Öcalan as its leader. So in terms of the ideological, political, but also the leadership level, connections are there. But what the U.S. is effectively proposing to Turkey, which is being rejected by Turkey, make a distinction between the PYD and YPG. We will support you in your fight against the PKK, but you should also change the approach towards the PYD-YPG. There was a period in which this policy could have worked because the Turkey also 
when there was the peace process in Turkey. And sorry, just to break it down, when you talk about the PYD, that is the political arm of the YPG, which is the military arm. They're both organizations that represent the aspirations of Kurds in Syria, as opposed to the PKK, which is operating in Turkey. It's carried out a lot of attacks and it's based in Iraq, right? Sorry, just had to jump in there and try and break it all down again. So forgive me for interrupting. That's absolutely very essential. And if you see, like, when it comes to Turkey's operation in Iraq, the US is actually largely supportive, at least discursively, because it sees this as anti-PKK. And this is the major difference. Turkey does not make a distinction between the PYD and PKK or YPG. And the U.S. is still pushing for this. And I think this is going to be a sticking point in the relationship, not only in reference to the membership aspiration of the Finland and Sweden, this is going to be with us for a long time to come. And the reason for that is because basically the U.S. needed some boots on the ground, some fighting force to go after ISIL, right? This is why the US made the distinction between the YPG, the PYD on the one hand, and the PKK on the other hand, even though, as I mentioned, you know, there have been US officials said, hey, we know they're aligned. I think everyone knows the links. As I said, like the US basic needs dictated its policy back then. Mm. The anti-ISIS policy became a process through which the PYD-YPG expanded its territorial gains and gained more international sympathy, if not legitimacy, but it did not gain the international recognition that it was striving for simply because the Turkey was vetoing it. And obviously, Turkey's really worried about any group that is aligned with the PKK because the PKK is a group that puts bombs in shopping malls in Turkey at one point. We're talking quite an ugly low-intensity terrorism or low-intensity warfare that has been around for almost four decades. Almost 50,000 people lost their lives. Many of them, by the way, are Kurds uh, because uh, this fight predominantly uh, or primarily took place in the Kurdish areas in Turkey. So the anti-PKK sentiment is quite strong across the political and subtle positioning in the country. So, mm -hmm. uh, and that's why it's very easy for the government to rally the political and societal support when the issue is the PKK. All right, now, I want to talk about this point. The Swedish foreign ministry has put out statements saying, hey, we are not providing financial assistance to the YPG group. They've talked about how they provide financial assistance to humanitarian operations within Syria for Kurds, but they said we don't give money to the YPG. The semi-official Sabah newspaper, well, it said, for example, Sweden provides financial assistance to the YPG. What does the evidence suggest? Well, I think one thing that we are talking here, as the YPG, PYD, SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces, so you have many different acronyms. All of them are interlinked, but all of them also are separate entities. So you might give support to SDF and claim that you are not giving to YPG and PYD because SDF claims to be not only PYD, YPG and also having a significant Arab presence, etc. So this is like where you get all this confusion. Mm 
I think the Sweden did provide some uh, small amount of financial support in the name of the stabilization efforts in the Northeast. Mm. I have to check whether it was probably not to PYD YPG directly, probably to STF, but the backbone of STF is the PYD or uh, YPG. So there we get into the politics of different names, but effectively, yes, the STF has other components, but the backbone of which is still the YPG PYD. Right. So, and I think that Sweden was providing some small amount. But once again, we go to the fundamental question because there is a difference in both countries' perception to terrorism. The Sweden doesn't regard the PYD terrorist, doesn't regard YPG terrorist, doesn't regard the STF terrorist, all of which are regarded as terrorists by Turkey. And therefore, here you have the threat perception of one NATO countries and one aspirant NATO member. To be very different. They're on different pages. Absolutely. And this is the trouble of NATO mm. because this is NATO is effectively is a security organization. If your security threat perception are different, how alliance can work effectively? If Turkey and the US sees their partners through the security threat lenses, then that is going to put major pressure on overall NATO's effectiveness, particularly when it comes to Middle East and North Africa. That seems to be exactly the point that Turkey's president has been making. We asked Sweden to extradite 30 terrorists. They said no. NATO is a security organization. Therefore, we cannot say yes to this organization being deprived of security. How easy is it going to be for Turkey's position to change for a deal to be worked out, given President Erdogan's personal, very clear stance on this? Well, I think one trouble now that I see when it comes to resolving this issue, we have a NATO summit, which is the, at the end of June in Madrid. And this issue is going to be high on the agenda. The Russian the war in Ukraine is going to be high on the agenda. And I think up until the June meeting of NATO, what we see now can be regarded as dispute between Turkey and certain NATO members. But I think if this issue is not resolved by then, and highly likely it will not be resolved by then. Then it'll be a bigger issue. A bigger issue, and we can see this morphing from being a dispute to a crisis. Mm. And the longer that it sticks around, I think after a while we will lose the sight of what was the original discussion between Turkey and Sweden. That might turn into a larger debate between certain NATO members, most importantly the U.S., and Turkey. And particularly some NATO members will try to portray this as Turkey indirectly doing the Russian biddings, actually helping the Russia, or this is undermining the fight against the Russia. Mm. And that's some trouble that Turkey is facing. I think this issue is going to be for uh, with us for some time. So what is Turkey's goal then? Is it simply to get Sweden and Finland to designate the YPG as a terrorist organization? Is that the solution here? Or does it want perhaps other concessions out of NATO, out of the US? Are we talking about the sale of US fighter jets or the role of Turkey in that stealth fighter program or the sanctions on Turkey? I think all this will be part of the conversations. So the F-16 will be part of the conversation or Turkey will still push to be included into the F-35 program from which that it was expelled. 
uh, as a result of Turkey's purchase of Russian S-400 missile system. And the Turkey will try to actually convince the U.S. or push for the U.S. to downsize its support for PYD-YPG and also still prevent any political recognition of the PYD-YPG in any political process in Syria. So you can talk about like many different goals. Some of them are unrealistic, some of them can be attainable. But as I said, this is a process. It will involve some give and takes. But I think at this stage, the Turkey will focus on its defense uh, needs, meaning getting its uh, the arms embargo that many Western countries impose on Turkey lifted and also getting the F-16 fighters from the U.S. and probably also pushing for its readmission into the F-35 program, which I don't see as likely anytime soon, and also to preventing further normalization of PYD, YPG at international forums. Because in Syria right now, if there are three goals of Turkey, it would be A, to prevent another fur, uh, large wave of the refugees into Turkey, B, it would be to prevent any political recognition of the YPG, PYD or the Syrian Kurdish entity in any political process. So the Turkey will continue to undermine these kind of autonomous regions, undermine it as much as possible and also prevent its political recognition as much as possible. And those things, we are also now talking about a prospective Turkish operation into northwestern Syria towards Tel Rafat and Manbij. I think all this conversation will be with us when these operations happen. So mm -hmm. this operation is part of Turkey's effort to deterritorialize the Syrian PYD or Kurdish entity as much as possible. In the US Congress, some members have even spoken about the possibility of expelling Turkey from NATO. How realistic is that sort of talk? Well, there is no mechanism of expelling any member. So the only way that a member... True, but they say that, hey, we could cite a material breach of treaty obligations under the 1969 Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties, for example. No, I think it is expected that it's not unnatural that an existing member of a club creates trouble or vetoes a new applicant. Greece did the same with Macedonia. And also, I think... And many countries did, would anticipate further crises of that nature down the road. So therefore, I don't think that this is even a conversation. Right. But the danger that we might see actually, the trouble that Turkey might face, is the creation of club within the clubs in NATO. Meaning that, you know, creating new grouping within NATOs where some real decisions are being taken. And I think that's a danger that Turkey does face in NATO. Sort of an isolation within NATO. Exactly. The isolation within NATO is a possibility. And I think the more that this crisis lingers on, the more these prospects becomes more and more possible. But the expelling of Turkey from NATO is out of a question. The only way Turkey will be outside of NATO if Turkey decides to withdraw, to leave itself. Doesn't NATO really need Turkey now, especially when Russia is asserting its military uh, influence? I think it's quite clear that NATO needs Turkey. I mean, just look at what's happening right now in Ukraine. Turkey is one of the most active members there. Actually, it's very interesting because the war in Ukraine is arguably was the most significant security challenge, European security challenge, perhaps like along the wars in Balkans. 
But the most significant security challenge that Europeans are supposedly experiencing since the Second World War. But on this war, EU as an entity simply did not matter at the initial stage. The all three major countries that mattered during this process, all of them was non-EU member of NATO. The US, UK and Turkey were the three most active actors in this one. So that's a really effective member right now in NATO's efforts. It's not the sort of uh, member you want to annoy right now. I mean, if the Black Sea security is going to be a major topic of NATO, which it will be, and the Black Sea security is effectively means the European security, there you cannot achieve this by turning Russia. Now Russia is clearly in the enemy category and completely antagonizing Turkey. So you cannot have a functioning European security by leaving Russia and Turkey at the same time outside. So if, if the Russia is the enemy of the European security, now pretty much this is how it is being perceived, how it is being framed, then you need Turkey. You need Turkey even more on the southern borders of Europe. Absolutely. And also the south. I mean, the war in Russia or the confrontation between Russia and the West is moving to the southern neighborhood, right. be it in Libya, be it in Eastern Mediterranean, be it in uh, Syria. And there, one of the most active members of NATO is Turkey. So I don't think that you can play a significant role both in the eastern neighborhood and the southern neighborhood of Europe by keeping Turkey outside. All right, let's look at it from the other way and say, how much does Turkey need NATO right now? Well, Turkey also needs NATO because Turkey and Russia fought 13 wars. In the history. Exactly, during the Ottoman period. This is the country with which the Ottomans fought the most was Russians. And if you look at the last two centuries of the Ottoman Empire, if there was one grand strategy of the empire, I would say it was engaging in different international alliances. Back then, that simply meant uh, engaging with different Western empires. To contain the Russians. To contain the Russians. And I think a Russian quick victory would have put more pressure on Turkey. The Turkey would not want significantly weakened Russia, but the Turkey would not want to have also a resurgent Russia. To some extent, actually, the current picture is not a bad picture for Turkey because the Russia knows that it cannot antagonize Turkey. And the West also needs Turkey despite their differences elsewhere. So the NATO is still a significant card can Turkey use vis-a-vis, you know, its other competitors, most important to Russia. So it sounds, Gallup, like you're saying some daylight is creeping in between Turkey on the one hand and some of its other NATO allies. What sort of impact will that have on the security of other Middle Eastern countries and theatres where Turkey, of course, is very involved? I think one of the major implications would be the following. Turkey would not shy away in picking fight, in opposing NATO or the major NATO members when it feels that its security or its interests are at stake. And we already see this clearly in Libya, where the Turkey and French engage in quite fierce rivalry to the extent that the French saw the Russian role more benign than the Turkish role. People tend to forget it. The French was a facilitator of the Russian role in Libya. We saw this in Syria. We're likely to see this in Iraq as well. So I think what we see in Turkish-NATO relationship, a form of transactionalism is going to prevail more and more. 
we will see more engagement. All right, it's been a great chat, Garnet. Thanks so much. Likewise, likewise, very much enjoyed. And thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by Khalid Sultan and sound design was by George Elwir. Our lead engagement producer is Aya El Malik and our assistant engagement producer is Munira Dosari. And of course, our big boss, the executive producer, is Omra Saleh. I'm your host, Tammy Zaydan. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk again next week. Music